Grab your Bible and turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. So Genesis is the beginning. It's the beginning of the Bible. It's the beginning of everything. Genesis chapter 1. If you want to know where things start, that's where it starts. You want to know how they started, that's how they started. And since we're talking about the starting of our church, we're going to go back to the starting of everything, the beginning of everything. Uh, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. And today I'm kicking off a new series um, that I called I Heart My Church. I Heart My Church, everybody. Uh, I love my church. I don't know. I think you should love your church. I do. You know, we live in a culture of people like, I love pizza. I love coffee, right? I, I think you should love those things, right? Hopefully there's a different love in that and when you talk about your spouse. <laughs> I love my spouse and I love pizza. Hopefully there's a difference. Uh, and, and hopefully the spouse is more. <laughs> like I love my spouse almost as much as I love coffee. No, that's bad. You need help, okay? Um, but we just, uh, early on, I, we've, I, you know, every year, used to for a while, every year I would do a series called I Heart My Church. This year I wanted to do it again. Uh, the content changes. The thought is the same. I want people to love their church. Not because your church is perfect. Because you're, listen, if you're in here and you're looking for the perfect church, really what you're looking for is an excuse to not go to church. When people, I just can't find the right church. That's just, you know, one excuse is good as another. How about I just don't like how loud it is? Just do that one. That one works a lot. Or it's too cold, you know. I'm cold every weekend in here. I'm cold everywhere I go. That's why I'm wearing a coat today. So bring you a sweater. You know what I'm saying? I mean, one excuse. And so a lot of times people, I'm looking for, well, you can't have a perfect church because the moment you show up, it's not perfect. <laughs> I'm just saying, they let me in and I'm not perfect. And I know me and I'm in charge. <laughs> so if we have a very imperfect person that's leading this, what's the chances this is going to be perfect, y'all? I've never preached a perfect sermon. I know, it's shocking. As many as I've preached, I've never preached a perfect one, right? But the idea was that we could love the beauty of its imperfections. We could love the messiness of our lives and know that that's the messy places, that's just where God is working. The messy places in this church, can I tell you something? The messy places in this church, that's just where God's working. That's just where God's working. And, and that's why we love God, because isn't it a miracle, miracle, everybody? That's East Texan for miracle. That's how Bubba and them say it, miracle. I'm proud for me a miracle. If you've been in East Texas, you understand that when you run into someone who actually enunciates, you think they're weird. But it's a miracle that we can take this many imperfect people and put them together and watch God work in our midst. That's a miracle. That's the glory of the church, right? And so it's like, I mean, it's a beautiful mess. You don't understand what I'm saying? It's a beautiful mess. And I think we should love our church, not because it's perfect, but because that's where God works, and those are God's people, right? And anytime someone has to be perfect for you to love them, we're, our, we're in trouble. We're in trouble, right? And so uh, I just I want us to love our church more than pizza, more than coffee, maybe not more than your spouse, but... Everything else, maybe. I don't know. And so we're doing this series, I Heart My Church. And so Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, 
let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You've heard me say this before, but God has given you authority and dominion over creeps. And sometimes that's really important. But when we looked at this verse, the reason I want to use this verse is because when we talked about what, what if people came to Pathway and said, what is God's plan for my life? This verse tells you. All the way back in the beginning. God had a plan for you back in the beginning. And so what we did here is we just took this verse and we gave it four, we gave it four, four words that if you would apply these four words, this is God's plan for your life, it's God's plan for my life, it's what the church helps us and facilitates uh, in our lives, it's what we help in the church, it, it's, it, this is it. I'm, I'm going to read the verse again, I'm going to point out the words, we, we put them in here, but let me show you this. Then God said, let us make man believing. Write that down, believing. Let us make man believe. In other words, God said, let us make man to believe in us. In other words, God said, I want man, and I'm going to make him, and man is going to believe in me. And they said this, in our image. In other words, it's going to look like us belonging to us. So right, belonging. Because this is God's plan for your life. Believing and belonging. Right? Let us make man believing in us. Um, in our image, belonging to us. Then he said, after our likeness. In other words, to become like us or becoming. So this is God's plan for your life. Believing, belonging, becoming. It's God's plan for your life. And they said, and let him have dominion, building, building like us. So what is God's plan for my life? Well, God's plan is believing, belonging, becoming, and building. This is the way we phrase it because this is the mission of our church. The mission of Pathway Church is to help every person believe in Jesus, belong to a family, become a disciple, and build God's kingdom. And the reason that's our mission is that's God's mission. So we thought, kind of like Jesus said he should be about the Father's business, we thought we should be about the Father's business. So that's why Pathway Church is not so much about church, it's more about people. We, we believe in the church, but we really believe in people. We believe in serving people, helping people, and ultimately the way you help people is you help them believe in Jesus, belong to a family, become a disciple, and build God's kingdom. And that theme runs throughout the entire Bible. If I had time, I could show you about 100 verses. Believing in Jesus, belonging to a family, becoming a disciple, and building God's kingdom. And you say, well, what's the vision of the church? Well, the vision of the church is real simple. It's the thing Jesus told us to pray. On earth, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't have time to teach that message. It's a different message, but God's trying to get heaven on earth. If you study the Bible, God's not actually trying to get everybody into heaven. He's trying to get heaven into earth. Jesus didn't die to get you into heaven. He died to get heaven into you. So the question is, well, how do we get heaven on earth? Believing in Jesus, belonging to a family, becoming a disciple, and building God's kingdom. If you think about in Genesis, what would God's, God's plan? I want earth to look like heaven. How am I going to get earth to look like heaven? I'm going to create Adam and Eve, and I'm going to get them to believe in me, belong to me, become like me, and build like me. So if you're sitting here wondering, like, God, I don't know what you're trying to do. Here's what God's trying to do. He's trying to get earth to look like heaven. Well, God, I don't know how you're going to do that. Well, God's saying, well, if you would believe in me, belong to me, become like me, and build like me. Like this, 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 this is as simple as I can phrase it. So, so let's, uh, I called this message the battle for belief, and I'm going to have to preach it really fast. So we're going to see a miracle maybe. 
the battle for belief. So let's pray. Dear Jesus, we need your help. Amen. All right. The battle for belief. <laughs> How many have ever had a situation where you just didn't have time for a long theological prayer? You just need like, Jesus, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, that was one of those. All right. Um, so for us, we said, believing, belonging, becoming, building. The question is then, okay, what's God's vision on earth as it is in heaven? How does God accomplish that? He gets kids who believe in him, belong to him, become like him, and build like him. Now, as a church, how do we do believe, belong, become, and build? Well, I'll give you the simple thing. We'll talk about it later. But believe weekend experiences. Our student experience, kids experience, prayer experience, belief, believing. Belonging, life groups. You need a people. Life happens in a group, and when life happens, you need a group, right? Um, becoming next steps or discipleship. Got to become a disciple. It doesn't happen overnight. And then building. How do we do that? Well, there's a lot of ways, but serving, serving. Um, so believing, belonging, becoming, and, and, uh, and building. So let's talk about what I want to talk about today is the battle for belief. So I have three points, three points, very simple points, by the way. Number one is this. God is believable, Amen. right? Let me say it this way. You can believe God. Um, notice I didn't say you can believe in God. Or Let me say it this way. This is a different point than do you, do you believe in God versus do you believe God? Or, or we should believe in God versus we should believe God. Notice the preposition is missing in one of those phrases. If I were talking about we should believe in God or you can believe in God, that becomes almost uh, an answer for apologetics, if you will, if you understand, giving an answer for faith. So like the two greatest arguments that I could give you, well, in the time that we have, because I'm not, this is really not the point, but the cosmological argument, if you want to talk about why do I believe in God, in God, well, number one, cosmological argument. What science tells us is that the universe had a beginning. So if it had a beginning, something had to begin it. What science tells you is that space, time, and matter all came into being about the same time, but they came into being, meaning something had to bring them into being or cause them to come into being. And whatever, if something has to have a cause to come into being, then it has to have a cause that doesn't need a cause. In other words, a self-sufficient, self-sustaining force has to cause it to come into being, right? This is science, by the way. I mean, you, you take the laws of thermodynamics, the second law of thermodynamics, it says every, essentially everything's winding down, everything bends towards chaos or disorder, right? So in other words, the universe could not just come into being. And people say, I know there was a big bang, but what caused the bang? Because the bang can't cause itself. So the whole idea that there had to be an uncaused first cause to the entire universe is the cosmological argument that says, since our universe is not self-sustaining and we are not self-sustaining, then we couldn't be the cause of ourselves, right? The other one is the morality argument that, that most of us subscribe actually to a standard of objective morality, meaning subjective means it comes from us. Objective means it's over here, it exists, it's a standard. See, everybody loves relative truth and relative morality until somebody steals your stuff. But see, the problem was their morality didn't say there was anything wrong with them jacking your car. But you got offended. No, no, I want relative truth, relative morality until somebody steals my car. And they're like, well, I wasn't, it didn't even bother me to steal your car. I thought that was fine because I needed a car. Well, wait a second. So, so what morality teaches us is whether you believe men are born bad 
or men become bad. Either way, men cannot be the standard of an objective morality, an objective morality standard. Men can't be the creator or the basis. It's impossible for mankind to come to this standard of morality without getting it from somewhere. I mean, this is the whole atheist argument, right? Atheists, well, I don't believe in God. Well, where do you get morality? And who comes up with morality? And who decides what's moral and what's not? Where does morality come from? And I don't have time to teach you, but you trace it back. There's got to be a standard. And it's interesting to me that most of our judicial system, the laws in our judicial system, really can trace them back to Leviticus. Like they actually come from the Bible. Why? Because God's the moral standard. Right? So, so, and, and then you have the whole um, creation thing and you have the whole idea, intelligent design. You can't have intelligent design without a designer. Like I love watches. This watch is automatic. means as long as I wear it, it just keeps spinning, which is amazing, right? Because the battery never runs out. The question is, I mean, I can take some metal and some little things and some little dots and all the stuff, and I can throw this into a melting pot and shake it around, melt it and do whatever. It's not going to come out working. Somebody had to design it and put it together. You can't have a watch without a watchmaker, a clock without a clockmaker, and a creation without a creator. So if we're talking about why you believe in God, you can talk about those. But that's really not what I want to talk about. That was all introduction for fun. What I want to talk about is you can believe God. Like, think about, think about this, but here's why. If I believe in God, wouldn't the next logical thing be that I need to believe God? Think about it. I believe in God. I believe he's God. Then why don't you believe him? Why don't you believe what he says? So the question is, well, I believe in God, but how do I know I can believe God? Maybe that's the question. Well, here's, here's why you can believe God. God is believable, number one, because God is all-knowing. He's omniscient. God, God is all-knowing. Let me give you, give you a couple of verses. Uh, 1 John 3.20 says, For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and God knows all things. How many things does God know? Do you know all things? Does God know all things? Wouldn't it be better to believe him over you? Paul said to the Corinthians, who can instruct the Lord? Like, who can tell him anything? I was like, Lord, if I applied that verse, it'd take away half of my prayer time because I seem to instruct him about a lot of things he needs to do. <laughs> Come on, are you with me, everybody? Uh, we call it praying really is griping. According to the word of God, God knows our steps. God knows our thoughts. He knows the day of Christ's return. God knows the number of stars. God knows the number of, head, of hairs on a head of every person that's ever been born. God knows everything. Next thing is God is truth. In a world where we can't figure out what truth is, everybody claims to have truth. Everybody thinks they can have their own truth. God claimed to be truth. Like if I think about this, if you don't want a, a life that is built on a lie, then everything in your life has to be submitted to the truth who is God. And this is good news because God is true. John 14, look at this, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. And some people say, well, you know, that's Jesus and Jesus is the truth because sometimes we have this thing, we like Jesus and not God. I mean, this goes all the way back to the first century with, with Marcion was this kind of heretic that actually started taking books of the Bible and he took, he, he decided the Old Testament God was mean essentially and Jesus and the Old Testament God were not the same. And he took everything out about the mean Old Testament God and every reference 
to, in fact, the way God used this, this is how we got, this is how scripture was canonized because they had to combat heresy because he was teaching people essentially that the Old Testament God and Jesus were not the same. And he had a version of the Bible where he took all the references out to the mean Old Testament God. And, and, and the church fathers stood up and said, no, this isn't right. We can't be doing this. And that's what actually led to the to the canonization of scripture to, to the Bible as we know it because they put it all back together because he was a heretic. And, and so some people say, well, Jesus says, well, he's truth. But look what he goes on to say. Look at this. And then he goes on to say, if you've known me, you would have known my father also. For now, for now on, you know him because you've seen him. In other words, he said, if you know me, you've seen me. If you've seen me, you've seen him. If you know me, you know him. Here's what he's saying. If I'm truth, he's truth. That, that God is truth. In fact, Revelation 19.11, because I always say, and by the way, 19.11 is a cool handgun. Revelation 19.11 <laughs> says, now, he said, John says, Now I saw heaven open, behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful. And look at this, his name was true. Jesus didn't come to tell you the truth. He came to tell you he is truth. And, and the reason that is good is because if he is truth, he cannot lie. That's what God told Israel. He said, I am God. This is Numbers 23, I think. He said, I am God. I do not lie. I'm not a man that I should lie. Because I'm talking about not, not just do I believe in God. Jesus said demons believe in God and tremble. But I'm talking about the battle for belief. And the battle for belief is can I believe God? Not believe in him. Can I believe God? And if I'm going to believe God, why do I believe God? Well, you know, number one, He's all-knowing. Number two, he's truth. Number three, he's immutable, meaning he can't change. Malachi 3, 6, for I'm the Lord, I do not change. Hebrews 13, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. See, if I'm going to believe him, I need to know he's always the same. In other words, if God, have you ever been around people, their truth changes? Right? And it gets really hard to believe in them because their truth seems to change a little bit. We live in a culture where people change their truth based on their new enlightenment. Well, I've been enlightened, so my truth changed. God's never been enlightened. He knows everything. And because he can't, God can't learn anything because he already knows everything. And so there's not like God's going to wake up in the morning and say, oh my goodness, I just thought of something and now I need to adjust what truth is. God is never going to adjust truth because he's never going to know something he doesn't already know. He's never going to come to a conclusion he hasn't already come to. There's never going to be any new facts or information presented to him where he's like, whoa. And he has a call staff meeting with the, the son and the Holy Spirit say, we got to rewrite some things, boys. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. He, he can't change. And he's perfect. According to the word of God, Matthew 5 says God is perfect. Psalm 18 says his way is perfect. Psalm 19 says his law is perfect. Romans 12 says his will is perfect. Like we're talking about believing God, not believing in, believing God. We said we believe in God, right? For us, most of us in here, this is where we're at. We believe in God. Well, then the question is, if we believe in God, then we have to believe God. And when it comes to believing God, then I need to understand. I need to understand that he's all-knowing. He's truth. He can't change. He's perfect. And, and the conclusion of all of that is, then he must be right. Right? He, in other words, the word of God is not actually the opinion of God. It's not just God submitting something for your review in case you'd like to use any of it. <laughs> right? And now God's like, you know, if you haven't thought about it, here's just something to think about. 
you know, just take this and, and do with. No, God has never been wrong. Meaning God is completely reliable. That's why Jesus said, Jesus said, build your life on anything else and it's sinking sand. But if you'll build your life on my words, it will be a rock that no matter how great the storm is, it will not sweep away your house, your family, your life. Because my words last forever. My truth is the truth. And it's reliable. And I'm always right. And I don't change. And I'm perfect. And I know everything. If you think you could consider something about your life, God has not already considered your wrong. That's why I say, God is believable. So if God is believable, second point, believe God first. Don't we all have stories where we wish we would have just believed God first before we did it? Right? But believe God first. Look, Genesis 3, 16. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, this is Adam, and he said, Every tree of the garden you can freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat it, for in the day that you eat it, you will die. Now, why did God tell him that? Why did God tell him that? Is God mean? God's like, I'm God, so I got to make rules, because that's what good gods do, is they just make rules that's really hard to follow. And that's what will prove I'm God. I will make rules. And I understand, you know, let me back up. I think you got to say this because one question is, well, if God is so good and so wonderful, why did he put that tree in the garden? It's a great question. And, and here's the reason why. Because God is so good and so wonderful, he wants you to always be able to choose him or not choose him. Yes. Without that tree in the garden, there is no opportunity for Adam and Eve to choose him or to not choose him. Let me say it another way. There was not an opportunity. You could actually say that was the faith tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You're like, no, it's the knowledge tree. No, no, no. Because God wanted them to have enough faith in him to not try that tree. And without that tree, they really couldn't choose faith. And let me say it, with, let me say it this way. If you take all the bad trees out of the garden, there's no, there's no room for them to believe there's no room for free will. There's no room for choice, which means there is no opportunity for love because love is always choice from a free will. And God is not a, like a fascist dictator deity who just is like, you will do what I say. No, God is a father who wants to be known, who wants to be loved, who wants to be chosen, who wants to be believed. And so he has to put the tree in the garden because God ultimately, listen, God ultimately, you know what God wants from all of us? Let me tell you what God wants from every one of us. He wants you to believe him. You know, the, you know there's, a, there's a saying, and I've had this conversation with my kids a lot as a parent. There's a saying, uh, experience is the best teacher. Has anybody ever heard that saying? Okay, that's not true. Has anyone ever found out that I, I, I wish I wouldn't have learned through experience? Is there anyone, oh, I'm so glad I learned that through experience. No, you know what the best teacher is? Faith. <clears throat> it's faith. This is where God said, he said, you can learn through experience or you could believe me. Let me say it another way. Adam and Eve, you can eat, that tree, eat of the fruit of that tree and die or you can just believe me when I say if you eat of the fruit of the tree, you'll die. 
But God ultimately just wants to be believed. But in order to be believed, you have to have the opportunity to not believe Him. You have to have the opportunity to be able to choose Him. You have to be the and without choice, you can't have the opportunity to love Him. And so God wants to be believed. Think about this: belief. If you think about it, belief, is the basis of your relationship with God. Hebrews 11, 6, without faith, it's possible to please God. For anyone who comes to God must believe. <laughs> your, your relationship with God runs as deep as your belief in Him runs. And so God just wants you to believe Him. That's what He wants for me. He wants me to believe Him. He wants you to believe Him. And, and for God, you need to understand the base of your relationship is, is believing Him. And you also need to understand, like we see in the garden, belief sometimes is a matter of life and death. In fact, this is how we come to know God. This is how we come to relationship with God. To as many as received Him, John said, to many, John chapter 1, as many received Him, to, to those who believed Him, He gave the right to become sons of God. Like this is where we receive eternal life. Receiving eternal life is not about religious accolades or our own personal performance. Receiving eternal life is about faith in Jesus Christ. It's about belief. The way we come to a relationship with God is, is about belief. And, and I don't know um, if you've ever thought about this, but what does belief then look like in this relationship with God? Let me show you this. this is pretty cool. Hebrews 3.16. It says, who were they, and this is talking about the children of Israel, who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not also Moses, all, all those Moses led out of Egypt? So we're talking about the children of Israel, talking about the Exodus. And with whom was God angry for 40 years, right? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell or perished in the wilderness? Verse 18. And to whom did God swear they would never enter his rest? Was it not those, now watch this key word, was it not those who disobeyed? Now look at verse 19. So we see that they were not able to enter the rest of God, the promise of God. Look at this. Because of their unbelief. Now isn't that interesting? Verse 18 says they didn't enter because they disobeyed. Verse 19 says they didn't enter because they didn't believe. So which one is it? The answer, yes. Because here's the truth of it. Your obedience is always precipitated by your belief. In other words, you believe God, and because you believe God, you obey God. In fact, many times, the measure of your belief is your obedience. As a pastor, I can say it's been fun because I've had conversations with people where they say, I believe God, but I'm like, but, but you're not doing what he said. Well, I know. And many times when it comes to not doing what God said, it's because we don't believe Him. If we, are, if we are living disobedient to God, it's because we don't believe Him. I mean, people say, well, Pastor, I believe in tithing. I just don't do it. I'm like, well, believe in air, but just don't breathe it. <laughs> I believe in showers. I just don't take them. I don't, I don't understand. Like, I, I get it. Sometimes... Following God, being obedient to God is not always easy. It's hard. Sometimes it does cost us. Sometimes it's uncomfortable, right? And people say, well, I just don't understand. God, you know, when in the world did you have a child and you told them to do something? They say, well, I just don't understand. And you're like, oh, well, you know what? You're right. If you don't understand, you just don't have to do it. 
right? I remember when my kids were little, I worked on them with this thing called first-time obedience. First-time obedience meant dad was going to say it one time. And I was never mean. You know, that's my kids. My kids all love me. We have a lot of fun. I was never mean to. I loved, I loved my kids. They were fun. Uh, they, sometimes, you know, some, let me say this. Parents, it is wonderful when they're all teenagers to some regard. But they get real expensive. Right? And sometimes you miss the four-year-olds. You do. It's very different. It's kind of a weird thing, right? I'm not ready to start over with a four-year-old, but I'm just saying there, there are days that was a little bit easier, you know, um, because, you know, now it's like guiding young adults through life. You know, it's a little bit more challenging. But when they were little, I, I worked with them on this thing called first-time obedience, and that was, hey, Dad's going to say it one time, and after that there's a consequence. I'm not going to say it. You know, hey, you know, you need to go to bed, you need, or you need to clean up your toys. You need to clean up your toys. Okay, I'm going to count to three. One, two, two and a half. Two and five-eighths. Right? And, and, and here, but here was the, the method to my madness. I knew I had Briggs. And Briggs today is very different than Briggs when he was three. Um, because today, Briggs is so chill. He's like my most chilled kid. I mean, he's a great kid. But when he was a little bit, he'd just take off. And he'd go home with anybody. Right? I mean, and he would hide from you in department stores. I mean, he was a little bit mischievous. Now he's like super chill and easy. But, and back then he wasn't difficult. He just had a lot of energy. And what I knew is I could be walking through a parking lot and Briggs could take off running. And I didn't need to be, hey, don't run. Hey, stop. Hey, I'm going to count to three because I didn't want Briggs to get run over while I'm counting to three trying to convince him that I really needed him to stop. Because I understood for him, he couldn't understand the difference between a life and death command and just a guidance and blessing command. And so what I had to teach him was, if dad says it, that's what it is. If dad says, go to your room, go to your room. Dad says, clean it up, clean it up. And dad says, stop running, stop running. I think this is what God wants for us. Not to understand everything, just to have enough faith and belief in him that whatever he says we'll do, whether we understand it or not. That we will trust that he wants good for us. Do you know this? Everything good you have ever received from God is because you believed him. And I can say this, there may be things you have not yet received from God because you haven't believed him. So believe God first. Here's the third thing. Believe God last. This is such a deep message, isn't it? <laughs> like, so believe God. God is believable. So believe him first and then believe him last. Look at this, John 20. 20. <laughs> How many know <laughs> Pastor Marty's not that complicated? Y'all, I'm pretty simple, right? John 20, um, verse 30, it says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in the Bible. In other words, in fact, John goes on to say, he said, he said this, I, I suppose if we'd written everything down Jesus did, the, the world would not have room enough for the volumes that it would take. Like, you need to understand, Jesus just didn't do a few miracles. The scripture just gives us enough to understand what he could do and how he did it, right? It doesn't tell us everything. Like, there's, we're going to probably find out there's some really cool miracles we thought should have been included. I don't know what they would be, but I'm going to tell you right now. It'd be awesome. But he said, which are written in this book, but these are written that you may believe 
in Jesus Christ, Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Here's what John's saying. In fact, I, I know this because John writes it in, in his epistles uh, later on. But here's what John's saying. I wrote these things so that you would believe in Jesus, but then he said this, the Son of God, and that you'd continue to believe. And let me show you why. Because 1 John 5, 13, it's the same language. He said, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe. The, the reason I call this the battle of belief, I want you to understand that Adam and Eve fell. Listen to this. Adam and Eve didn't fall because they didn't believe in God. That's not what caused them to fall is that they didn't believe in God. They believed in God. And Adam and Eve didn't fall because they didn't believe God first. Adam and Eve fell because they didn't believe God last. In other words, what caused Adam and Eve to fall, what caused the fall of mankind was they didn't continue to believe. They believed, but they didn't continue. We don't have the chronology of all that went on in the garden, but I don't think Genesis chapter 3, which is the fall of man, I don't think that happened on day 8. Right? In other words, there's creation. Most people, whether you think creation, it was every day was a thousand years or every day was actually a day or however you want to work that out. There's a lot of theories. You know, we're given seven days, essentially six days of creation, one day of rest. And there's a lot of different theories on what that actually means. Right? And, and I don't know that it's all that important. We just know everything got created. Right? Okay. Um, um, but we had rest on the seventh day. I don't think day eight is when the serpent showed up and tricked Adam and Eve. No, they had time to walk with God in the cool. I mean, they, Eve had to be created. Right? They had to have a honeymoon. She had to learn to cook. Adam had to, you know, learn to work with wood or something like that. I don't know. I'm not saying Adam couldn't cook. I cook. I cooked the other night, set the house on fire. It was awesome. <laughs> True story. The dog's barking. Mariah's scared. Briggs is entertained. It was a great day. Um, in my defense, I was cooking something, and Mariah said, come watch this cool movie trailer, and my ADD kicked in. Next thing I knew, the house on fire. Anyways, um... <clears throat> So I'm not in any way being sexist by saying Eve should cook. Maybe Adam cooked and Eve worked with wood. I don't care, right? The point is, I don't think it happened on day eight that the serpent showed up. I think there was some time where Adam and Eve walked with God. They believed God. What happened, though, is when the, the Satan showed up, the enemy showed up, what he did was he got them to stop believing. Can I tell you that this is still what Satan's trying to do in every believer's life today? He is trying to get you to stop believing. And in the, in the words of the great psalmist, Steve Perry, let me remind you, don't stop believing. Right? Don't stop believing. But this is what he does, guys. And, and ultimately, I mean, he did it with two things in, in, in this moment. He really caused them to question the goodness of God and question the Word of God. And I could do, I've done sermons on those, and I could do sermons on those. But, I mean, he, he's still the same thing. Uh, the way he gets us to question the goodness of God is by what we go through. Right? And the way he gets us to question the Word of God is ultimately by what we desire. Where God's Word speaks to something we 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 desire and maybe it limits something that we want, right? You need to understand this about the Word of God, about God Himself. God will only limit what He knows will kill you. 
there's only one tree in the garden that God limited. He said, eat as much of you want, as much as you want. Fruit salad for days, y'all, on all these other trees. But this one right here, don't, don't eat it. The only place God puts a limit is when he knows it's going to hurt you. He didn't put a limit on anything else. He never puts limits on his blessings. He never puts limits on, on the good things that he wants to do. But he will limit what he knows. What he knows ultimately is, is going to hurt you. Let, let me give you one more thing. I said um, a minute ago, I said, belief's a matter of life and death. And I said, when we believe, this is how we come to a relationship with God. And we read a couple of scriptures. In fact, John even reiterates it here. Believe in these things so you know you have eternal life. And then he says, but continue to believe. You need to understand that when I believe in God, I receive eternal life. That's grace. It's a gift. Right, the gift of eternal life, the gift of righteousness, forgiveness, redemption. It's all the grace of God. It's something I receive, not something I achieve. But you need to understand when I continue to believe, that's how I walk in abundant life. So when I believe in God first, I receive eternal life. When I continue to believe, I walk in abundant life. Do you see what happened in Adam and Eve? They, they believed and they were eternal. But because they didn't continue to believe, they died and they didn't experience the abundant life that God had called them or, or created them for. And you need to understand this about Satan. If he can't keep you from receiving eternal life, he will certainly try to keep you from experiencing abundant life. Because ultimately, he does not like you. Do you know why? Because you remind him of someone. Because you are created in the image and the likeness of your father. And you belong to him. And he doesn't like you. And so if he can't keep you from believing, he will war against you continuing to believe. And I think the reason, the reason I'm bringing this message today, whether, whether you're in the room, whether you're going to be in the next one, whether you're watching online, you may be watching this five years from now, I don't know. But here's what I know. Satan is warring against your belief. And you need to understand that faith requires maintenance. Hebrews says, faith comes by hearing. It does not say faith comes by having heard. That in order for me to continue to believe, right, I have to continue to hear the word of God. I have to continue to trust in the heart of God. Like for me to continue to believe, because anytime I stop believing, I'm going to stop following. Anytime I stop believing, right? This, listen, th this is why we have church. This is why we gather. It's why we, have, it's not why we have weekend experiences, because your faith doesn't maintain itself. You need, you need to hear the word of God. Right? Can I say one more thing that I'm, that I'm really burdened about? And this is going to sound bad, because it's going to, I'm, it, but I need to make a shocking statement so I'll get your attention. I'm not going to change anything that we do, and I'm so grateful for everything that we have. But I think the, the thing the enemy is using right now to war against our children is online church. And we're not going to stop broadcasting. We're not going to stop doing online church. If you're watching online today, I'm so glad that you're there. But this is, as a pastor, what I've seen in the last few years. We'll just catch it online. You're catching online, but what's your three-year-old doing? We'll just get it on podcast. That's wonderful. You'll get it on podcast. 
But what's your teenager doing? And as a pastor, like I felt this so strong. Even this morning, I was up and just praying over the outline. This is something I do every weekend. And just praying. And this, it wasn't even in my notes. I didn't even think about it. And it hit me so strongly what I just said. I think today, one of the things the enemy is using against the belief in our children, or against our children's belief and them continuing to believe is online church because it's giving moms and dads and excuses to not get them up and not get them ready and not take them to the house of God. People have asked my parents, if you know my parents, they attend our church and they're in their 70s. I don't think they'd mind you telling that. My dad's a retired minister. And people have looked at, at, at my, my family. There's two boys, Mark and I, and they've looked at our families and said, you know, your family's like, my kids are not required to come to church. I didn't wake them up this morning for church. They will wake themselves up and drive themselves to church, which is a whole other scary thing in my life right now because I have two new drivers at the same time. Apparently, we're going to test how well my hair is attached. Um, <clears throat> but people said, wow, what is the secret? Because we've got generations that love to come. My niece and nephew love to come to church. And, and my kids love church. I don't make them go to student ministry. They go on their own. They love to go. I don't make them do anything. I decided they got to be kids just because I was a pastor didn't mean they, they couldn't be kids, right? And I want to say thank you to our church for letting my kids just be kids. They've, my, this church has always been so wonderfully gracious with my kids and I understand they're just kids. But people say, what, what's the secret? Here's my dad's response. There was no choice involved in going to church. Like when we were teenagers, it wasn't like, you know, I don't feel like going. Dad's like, I don't care how you feel. Faith's not about feeling, son. Get up. I'm sick, Dad. That's all right. We believe in divine healing, the doctor of divine healing. Come on to church. We're going to pray for you. Dad, I'm dying. It's okay. We believe in the resurrection, son. Come on to church. And when our kids were little, we just brought them to church. There was an online church. We just brought them to church. And, you know, I never forget my, my oldest son, he's in Arizona going to college. And I was talking with him after his first week there. And he was telling me about the church that he had gone to. I didn't tell him he had to go to church. He said, Dad, I know i got to find a good church. And I tried this church. And he, he walked me through some of the good things, some of the things like, I'm not sure, but I'm going to go back. And he said, but then there's two or three other churches that I want to try to while I'm out here. And, and you know, I was so proud of him. I was so proud of him. But this is what I'm saying, and, and I know I got to, ooh, I got to stop. But I want you to hear me. Like, if we have incredible faith as adults and we don't bring our kids and our students with us, right? And so I, I, I want you to understand, and I didn't mean to make this the message, but I want you to understand, we believe in God, yes, but we believe God because God is believable. And because God is believable, we're going to believe him first, right? We're going to believe him first. And, but God is, and because God is believable, we're going to believe him last, meaning we're going we're gonna to keep our faith active, Right? We're going to do the maintenance of faith, which is continuing to believe God, continuing to trust God, whether we understand or not.
And listen to me, that is why, listen, that is why we have it. This is one of the greatest reasons. We said, believe, belong, become, and build. Well, how do we do believe? Well, it's experience. It's prayer experience, worship experience, student experience, kids experience. When we gather, why? Because when we gather, there's always a place of encounter with God in the Bible. The garden was the first church. It was the place where God and people met, right? Jacob had this same encounter with God where he said, wow, God, you know, I, I was, you were here and I didn't even know it. He named the place Bethel, meaning house of God. It was a place where Jacob encountered God. God says, I want you to build a tabernacle to, to Moses. Why? I want a place where I can encounter my people. He, he says, David, and ultimately Solomon, I want you to build a temple. Why? I want a place where I encounter people. Why? Because we have to continue to believe. We have to continue to believe. believe. God is believable. We've got to believe Him first, and we've got to believe Him last. And the reason we gather, and the reason we bring our kids, and the reason we bring our students, and the reason we gather is there's always a place we encounter God, and it's from that place that our faith is built and strengthened so that when the enemy comes warring against the goodness of God, warring against the Word of God, we're able to say, you know what, whether I understand is not even the issue. I know God is believable. I will believe Him first. I will believe Him last. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? You're amazing. I'm going to go ahead and ask our prayer team to come. We, we end all of our worship time with a time of prayer. So if you're on the prayer team, I want you to come. And I want us just to pray together. Will you just bow your heads with me just for a minute? God, I just pray that you'd speak to all of our hearts. Would you ask God just to speak to you? Just, God, what would you say to me? What do you want to say to me? Just take a moment. Pray that simple prayer. God, what do you want to say to me? And then just listen. God, what do you want to say to me? And then just listen. And God, I do. I pray you'd speak to every person's heart. Speak to every person's heart today. While you're listening, your heads are bowed. No one's really looking around. I just want to give an opportunity for anyone who needs a relationship with Jesus to encounter God, just like we were talking about, to believe in God. Maybe you're here. Maybe, maybe you believe in God, but maybe you need to believe God. In other words, you need to bring your life to Him. You need to be the offering. Not, not just say, well, God, I, I believe there is a God. That's a completely different issue than I'm going to believe God for salvation. I'm going to believe God loves me. I'm going to believe God has a plan for me. And so whether you're in this building or you're watching online, I just want to give a moment that if you're here and you feel a prompting, I, I would call it a prompting, but you just feel it in your spirit, in your gut, however you would verbalize it if you had to tell me. But you just feel this, this thing. And it says, man, I really want to know God. I really want a relationship with God. I'm not sure that I have a relationship with God. I'm not sure that I really know God. Or maybe you just be honest say, I know I'm far away from God. Like I was raised in church and I know where I'm at today is not anywhere where I need to be. I need a relationship with God. If that's you, I, I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you. No one's looking around. It's really just between you and the Lord. But if that's you, I just want you in just a minute, I'm going to count to three. More count to three. I just want you to lift your hand up. And it's really for the Lord. It's just saying, God, here's my, here's my act of faith to say, God, I'm lifting my hand to say, I believe in you. I want a relationship with you. 
So when I say three, one, two, three, just lift it up. Say, yeah, God, yeah, thank you. Oh, so incredible. So incredible. I'm going to pray for you where you are. You can put your hands down if you want. But I want to invite you after I pray. We have a wonderful prayer team, and it's so important, according to Jesus, really, that we come and we confess Jesus to another person. He said, hey, if you'll confess me before me and my father will confess you, right? Or I will confess you before my father. And we want to give you a safe place to take that step of faith. We also want to give you some resources and stand with you. So I'm going to pray with you whether you're online or in person. But if you're online, I want you to, you can text um, my pathway prayer to 94,000. We'll connect with you that way. But if you're in the room, when we dismiss, I want you to come forward and just let us pray. And there'll be other people coming for other reasons. No one's singling you out. We just want to make sure that, that you know you're not alone and that you know we're with you and that we're encouraging you. So if you lifted your hand, it's really the faith that matters, not all the words. But if you're not sure how to start or how to pray, then this is simply a guide. But you would say something like this, like, God, I believe in you and I believe in your son, Jesus. I believe you died and rose again for me. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin, anything that would keep me from you. I ask you to fill me with your spirit and help me to live a life following you, believing in you. In Jesus' name. God, I pray as they prayed that prayer, you would forever change their life, reveal yourself to them, and help them to follow you the rest of their lives. God, I pray today you draw anyone that has a prayer need and you would meet them here. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Come on, can you give Jesus one more praise today? God is so good, everybody. God is so good. Listen, I love you so much. You're amazing. If you need prayer, you lift your hand. Please come. Everyone else say a big God bless you. Grab your kids. Grab a cookie. Have some fun. We'll see you next weekend at Groups Launch.